Got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Grab your notepad uh, if you brought one in because you're going to need it today. Uh, today I am going to give you a whole lot of information. This could very easily be three sermons or maybe even nine, but we're going to try to do it in one. Uh, so buckle up. We got a lot to cover. We are continuing our series on the God I never knew. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, talking about this third person of the Trinity who is so essential and important in our lives. Next week, we're going to finish this series with part eight. We're going to do question and answer on the Holy Spirit. So if you have any questions on something we've addressed over the last six weeks, something we haven't addressed over the last six weeks, something you experienced Sunday night as you pursued the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, and you've seen God move or haven't, um, anything in between, man, if you've got any questions in these areas, if you're questioning it, somebody else probably is too. So if you would, submit that. You can text those into the church at 662-404-2489. You can email those in at info at citychurchob.com. You can text me or Facebook message me or any, any communication form to get those in. Um, but ideally, those would be in by like Thursday so that we have enough time to, to study and give you a legitimate answer uh, in our message next Sunday morning. So we'll do Holy Spirit Q&A. Uh, next Sunday as we finish this series and we'll start a series on Christmas, uh, the Sunday after that, December the 5th. So that's where we're headed. Today in the God I Never Knew Part 7, we are going to talk about spiritual gifts. We're going to read a passage in 1 Corinthians 7 where the Apostle Paul teaches us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now there's about three main sections in Scripture that detail gifts that God gives. Uh, we have the motivational gifts in Romans chapter 12. There's a, there's a list, I believe it's eight gifts in Romans 12, of things that are mostly less intimidating. Things like encouragement, uh, things like hospitality, things like giving, serving, right? These things aren't uh, so, so scary, I guess, for some of us. They're easier to access. The Bible says in Romans 12 that these are gifts that God gives to his people. Uh, then we have in Ephesians 4, there's five gifts that Jesus gives to the church. It says that Jesus has chosen some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. So I always say that's my job description. My job is not to do ministry. My job is to help prepare you to do ministry. Because as a believer in Jesus, you are a minister. You have a ministry at your, work, ministry at your workplace, a ministry at your school, a ministry in your family, in your neighborhood. Many of us are going to be doing some ministry on Thursday as we go to Thanksgiving with some people who may be difficult or may be hard for us to love. That's a great opportunity for ministry, right? And so my job is to prepare you to walk in what God has for you. It doesn't mean I don't do ministry too. I do, because God has things for me as well. But my job as a pastor specifically is to prepare you for works of service. Then we have what we call the manifestational gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. The manifestational gifts. These are somewhat more difficult to comprehend. Uh, the manifestational word itself is a little more difficult to grasp. What it means for something to manifest, when God manifests, it means he shows up. 
means he demonstrates that he is there. So when God has a manifestational gift, this is a gift that when it's in operation, it declares that God's presence is here. It declares that God is with us. Now, we know God is already here, right? We know in faith that the Holy Spirit already lives in us, that his presence is already here because we've worshiped, because we've gathered. But when a manifestational gift is operated, it becomes demonstrably clear to everyone that God is moving, that God is here. And so we're going to talk today about the nine manifestational gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Again, this is not an exhaustive list of all the gifts that God gives, uh, but we're going to look at the manifestational gifts for a couple of reasons. One is they're the most controversial, the ones that I think are most often most misunderstood. Uh, they're the ones that are probably most neglected in the church of Jesus right now in our generation, um, and so we're going to address it for those reasons. These are also the only gifts that are explicitly listed as gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The list in Romans 12 is called the gifts of God. Now, I think they're gifts of the Holy Spirit as well, and that's how God gifts them, but it doesn't explicitly say that. The Ephesians gifts are explicitly given by Jesus. So we're in the Holy Spirit series, so we're going to look at the nine gifts that we know for 100% sure these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start out, we're going to read 11 verses today in 1 Corinthians 12. The reality is we need to read the whole chapter. Uh, But because I'm doing three sermons in one, or maybe nine sermons in one, we don't get to do the whole chapter. So your homework this week is to read 1 Corinthians 12. Sometime this week, I want you to read through 1 Corinthians 12 and meditate on the spiritual gifts that God gives us here. But we're going to read the first 11 verses to give some foundation this morning. Excuse me. (coughs) Excuse me. See if I can get my voice right. Verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another translation says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now when Paul says that, he is not insulting the Corinthians and saying, you're dumb and ignorant and uninformed. He's just saying, God's people need to understand that God gives gifts. Uh, And so while Paul is addressing this explicitly to the church in Corinth, I believe the Holy Spirit would address this to City Church this morning. Concerning spiritual gifts, about spiritual gifts, he doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be uninformed. That's why we've spent seven weeks in this series. That's why we're spending another week next week in this series, because the things that God does through his Holy Spirit in our life are important. I've had many people over the last few weeks come and say, Pastor Troy, I've been in church my whole life and I've never heard this taught. I never knew this even existed. I never saw this in scripture. And so we've seen people who have moved from some ignorance to some informed level through this series. That's the goal. That's what we are desiring. That's what I believe God desires. Now, Paul starts with this phrase. He says, now about. Now, five times in 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to say, now about. Each time he says now about, he's addressing something the Corinthians have asked him in a letter. What's happening is there's an exchange of letters going back and forth. In fact, 1 Corinthians isn't even 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. They wrote a letter back. Paul responds. This is Paul's response to the letter from Corinth. So this is his second letter to the Corinthians for whatever reason. 
The first letter to the Corinthians has been lost to history. It didn't get passed down to us. It didn't get included in the canon of Scripture. There are Indiana Jones out there looking for the first letter to the Corinthians right now, trying to find it and become rich and famous. I don't think they're probably going to find it. Uh, I think the fact that we don't have it tells us that God didn't want us to have it. Uh, So for whatever reason, it didn't meet the standard, right? Maybe Paul was... He was a rookie apostle, and the first letter wasn't that great, so Paul, God said, no, I'm not quite at that level yet, or, or maybe whatever he wrote in 1 Corinthians, he covered in another letter, and so we have it in Scripture anyway, but for whatever reason, God said, I don't want that one in, but the next two letters make the cut. So we have 1 Corinthians, which is really 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, which is really 3 Corinthians, as part of the canon of Scripture. Uh, so Paul's responding, anytime he says now about, he's answering a question the Corinthians brought up in their little letter to him. So they ask a lot of questions. They ask questions about marriage, questions about relationships. They got some, some crazy stuff going on, some sexual perversion going on in the Corinthian church. If you read the letter, you're, you're going to see this is a messed up place. See, what Corinth was, was really kind of the Vegas of ancient Greece. Uh, Corinth is on what's called an isthmus. Basically, Greece has almost a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? An hourglass shape. And so Corinth is right in the middle of the point of the hourglass. And so while many places in Greece are seaports, Corinth is a place in Greece that's actually a double seaport. It has a port on the west side and a port on the east side. And all these stereotypes about sailors in our generation were stereotypes about sailors 2,000 years ago. These guys would be at sea for a very long time and they'd get on land and they'd come looking for trouble. Right? And so what was Corinth? Corinth was the center of prostitution. Corinth was the center of a lot of sexual perversion. It was a place where people from all over the ancient world, the ancient Mediterranean region, would gather and bring a mixture of beliefs, a mixture of practices, um, and do a lot of ungodly stuff in Corinth. And so God starts to move in this very dark, very sinful place. By the way, the promise of Scripture is that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So when you get scared about the darkness of our generation, when you get bothered about how sinful it seems our country is coming, remember this, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And God is up to something in the middle of our generation, amen? God has a plan. He's not been caught off guard. He's not asleep at the wheel. He's not surprised by what's happening. He has abundant grace for our generation. He's going to move mightily in our generation. I truly believe that. So he did it in Corinth. And so they've got, man, these people who are coming to Jesus and they're getting saved, but they're getting saved and they still got issues, right? Because they're just like us. We get saved and we still have issues. That's why we walk in and we have a sign that says, you're free to struggle here. Because none of us have it together, right? But we're pursuing God's best. We're chasing after God's best. So the Corinthians are chasing after God's best and they're missing it wildly. So they write Paul a letter, and they ask him questions, and Paul writes back, and he's answering their questions. So he deals with those things. Now he gets to the spiritual gifts questions. He says, now about these spiritual gifts, I don't want to leave you uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. What's happening in Corinth is they're not uninformed about the presence of spiritual gifts. They know all about gifts, and they're using spiritual gifts. They're uninformed about the proper way to use the gifts. They're using the gifts improperly, so Paul's going to write and give them some instruction. Uh, So verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What's Paul saying? He's saying you didn't realize it, but when you first gave your life to Jesus, it was because there was a work of Holy Spirit going on in your life. The only way you could receive Jesus as Lord is because the Holy Spirit revealed that to you. The Holy Spirit peeled back the layers over your eyes. This is true for us just as much as it is for them. Before you met Jesus, you probably weren't worshiping a pagan idol. You probably weren't worshiping a mute piece of wood or stone. But God had to reveal himself to you by his Holy Spirit for you to say, yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. Yes, I want to receive him as Lord of my life. So Paul says, before we get into all this gifts, you got to understand the the first gift is the revelation that Jesus is Christ. That Jesus is Lord of your life. Verse 4. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. The same Holy Spirit's giving all these gifts. They're not coming from different spirits because this is not hard for us to grasp, but it was hard for them because they're coming out of a polytheistic culture. Right? So everything had a spirit behind it. The sun had a God, and the moon had a God, and the earth had a God, and fertility had a God, and all of these things had their own gods. So Paul's speaking into this, and he's saying, look, we're not worshiping different spirits. When God shows up this way, and this way, and this way, and this way, it's the same spirit who's showing up and revealing himself in different ways. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So in the same way that each of us are wired differently in the way we serve, right? Some of us have construction gifts and carpentry gifts, and some of us don't. Right? Like, like we praise God for people who are gifted in those ways. Uh, God gives each of us in different ways to serve. In the same way he gives us e- gifts different ways for us to serve, he's going to gift us differently when it comes to these supernatural manifestational gifts as well. Verse 6, he says there's different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Again, he's speaking monotheism into a polytheistic culture. It's one God who's doing all of this, one God through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 7, he says, now to each one, everybody say each one, Question for you, are you an each? I see Naomi nodding her head, yes. Everybody else looking very confused. Never been asked if you're an each before, right? You are an each. It's bad grammar, but it's good preaching. To each one, to you, everybody say, that's me. That's me. To each one, the manifestation, the making, God making himself known of the spirit is given for the common good. So why does God give you a gift? I was going to use an example this morning and hope I can get away with it. Adonis, this is Hunter's mom. Everybody say hi, Adonis. Give it up to Adonis. She came in this morning to worship him. So we came to surprise Hunter, and I came to, to give him his birthday money. So Adonis came to give Hunter some birthday money this morning. Why, why did she give Hunter a gift? For his good, right? You give it to, to bless your son, right? So this is where we have to change our thinking. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't give us gifts to bless us, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to bless others, right? We give gifts to be a blessing to the person who's receiving the gift, but the Holy Spirit gives gifts because he's thinking about the next person. He's thinking about those around that person. He blesses us to be a blessing, and so the Holy Spirit gifts are not given for my good. I don't have a gift so I can puff myself up. I don't have a gift so I can say how spiritual I am, so I can say, look, look at me. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to build each other up. For the common good, 
Thanks for being here, Adonis. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes to each one just as he determines. So we just read through nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now these nine gifts break down comfortably into threes, which is convenient for me, uh, because one of the things that every preacher learns early on is the best message is a three-point sermon, right? So we got three points today. We're going to break this down into three groups of three uh, and, and talk about these manifestational gifts. So there's three categories of manifestational gifts. The first category are the discerning gifts. The discerning gifts. These are where God gives us supernatural discernment, where we have a revelation of something, from God. The first one of these is what we call the word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is to know something specific without having learned it by natural means. I'm going to give you a definition to each of these, and I'm going to try to go slow enough that you have enough time to write down each definition, but you might have to hustle a little bit. Um, a word of knowledge is to know something specific without having learned it by natural means. I've shared this illustration before in this series, but it's so central to my story. When I was praying and seeking God? Am I going to be in ministry? Is this something you really have for me? God gave a word of knowledge to my pastor's wife. Laura Thompson came up to me on Sunday night, said, Troy, this thing that you're praying for, God wants you to have it. Short sentence. What is that? Seven, eight words. Not a lot. Not some dramatic thing. Not you're going to be this pastor. Not God's going to send you to Mississippi. Like, no, no specifics. This thing that God wants you to have, or the thing that you want, God wants you to have it. And that was confirmation for me. That was a word of knowledge for me from God that confirmed this was the path I was supposed to pursue. Massively instrumental moment in my life. Something I'm so grateful that God loved me enough to speak to my pastor's wife. And she loved me enough to have the courage to come and speak to me. She never did that before. Never did it afterwards. It wasn't like she was just going around throwing around words. But God gave her a specific word in my life at that moment. Second discerning gift is the word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is a divine answer or solution for a particular event. A divine answer or solution for a particular event. This is when you're in the middle of something and you don't know which path to go. Right? This is God supernaturally leading you, supernaturally unveiling a plan, supernaturally unfolding a solution to the challenge that you're facing. I've seen a lot of examples of this in my life. I would say this, if you gave your life to Jesus, you only gave your life to Jesus because God gave you a word of wisdom. God revealed himself and said, look, Jesus is Lord. You need to give your life to this person. You, none of us receive Christ without a word of wisdom. Now, there's a lot of other situations and a lot of things where, where this comes into play. Remember four years ago, as we were sorting through and figuring out how are we going to get out of a lease at a building because God has provided for us to come to this building. I remember sitting down for lunch with Jimmy Fulp. Uh, we had just found out about this and we're like giddy and, and confused. And man, God gave us so much wisdom in that season 
God provided supernaturally for us to get out of that building and, I mean, to, to pay the rent over there and did just so many incredible things. God wants to give you wisdom. In fact, James 1.5 says this. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, they should come to God and ask, and he gives generously without finding fault. What does that mean? It means God wants to give you a word of wisdom. God wants to move in a word of wisdom in your life, in your relationship, in your marriage, in your job, in your financial situation, in whatever struggle, whatever difficulty you face, God wants to move in your life with the word of wisdom. In fact, he doesn't want to just move in your life. He wants to give you wisdom to speak into somebody else's life because these gifts aren't just for our good, they're for the common good, right? Uh, The third discerning gift is what we call distinguishing between spirits. The third discerning gift is distinguishing or discerning of spirits. Now, notice this this is not the spiritual gift of discernment. A lot of times we like to water down and dumb down 1 Corinthians 12. And we're like, oh, this is just discernment. He's talking specifically about supernatural revelation, about the presence of an angelic or demonic spirit. Um, This isn't just discerning. Yes, there is discernment, and discernment is good. My wife has an awesome gift of discernment. Uh, She she senses things that I do not oftentimes, and I'm wise to listen to her. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, and I pay the price when I don't. Um, I'm grateful for that. That's not what this gift is. This is a, a supernatural revelation of spiritual presence. Now, first service, we actually said of just a demonic presence, but we added angelic because I I do believe that angelic uh, revelation exists as well, where, man, you just have a revelation that this person you've encountered is is an angel. In fact, the Bible tells us that we'll entertain angels. Um, And so that is a part of our experience. Most of the time, we don't realize it. Sometimes God reveals it to us. But we'll also encounter demons. The reality is this physical world is not the real world. There is a spiritual realm that we don't see, and that's the real world. That's where stuff is truly happening. And so God is going to give you a peek, give you uh, a glimpse behind the curtain at different times where you recognize what is happening in the spiritual world, and he's going to do it to protect you. He's going to do it to enlist you to go to spiritual warfare. He's going to do it for, for a number of reasons. So I've had this experience a couple of times. I'll share with you uh, a couple of them. When I was a young adult, I was probably, I don't know, 24 years old. Um, my friend Jared, who was one of my groomsmen, he and I went to Baton Rouge for a week. I was going to Baton Rouge. I was actually interviewing for a job at a church. Uh, and we had some friends down there that we were staying with. And so he just came along. We were going to have a good time. So we went to Baton Rouge, and I interviewed with the church, and Checked it out, and then we had a free day, and we went to New Orleans. So we went to Cafe du Monde, and we got some beignets, and we're doing the New Orleans thing, right? We ate some seafood, and we're having a great time. Uh, And we come around a corner to go down Bourbon Street. And we made it about a block and a half down Bourbon Street, and the, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up, and he's having the same experience. In fact, he looked at me first, and he said, we don't need to be here. Uh, and as he was saying it, I was about to say it, and we were both like, we, we got to go. We were young, we were single, we were dumb. Uh, there, were, there was a whole lot of trouble we could have gotten to on Bourbon Street. And by God's grace, we, we recognized there was a demonic presence there. 
Um, that there, were, there was some stuff going on that we don't need to be a part of. Now, God may send a missionary down Bourbon Street, and they need to be there. And they're going for missions, and they're going to cast out demons, and they're going to spread Jesus and love on people. I'm not saying nobody should ever go on Bourbon Street. I'm saying, at that point, I should not be on Bourbon Street. And God revealed that. He gave us a discernment of spirits that this is not something that we need to be. This is not just tourism. This is not just taking some pictures and having a good goofy time. This is some real stuff going on here that you don't need to be a part of. You don't need to mess around with. Um, years ago, we went to New York on a mission trip. And one of the things that we did on the New York mission trip is we set up prayer posts. We would go out in the, in the city uh, in rough neighborhoods and we'd just, hey, pray with people. So we set up a table and, hey, can we pray with you? Can we pray with you? And just minister to people that way. And so I was at a prayer post in Harlem and we were on a street corner right in front of a Muslim youth center. Uh, and this Muslim youth center hated the ministry that we were working with. Uh, and so, in fact, as soon as we set up, they called the police, and they, tried to get, they got the police to come and tried to get the police to kick us out. Now, the police didn't uh, because we were legally there. Like, we weren't on their property. We weren't trespassing. We were respectful, uh, but we were also firm. Like, hey, we have a right to be here, and we have a right to minister to people. Uh, and in the midst of all that, I mean, those same spiritual sensors went off. Tim and Kim were here. They were here that day. Uh, they, they remember that. Those same spiritual sensors went off that, man, there's some demonic stuff going on. Right here. There's a spiritual force. I'm not saying that those people were demonic. That's not what I'm saying, right? Our, our, our enemy is not people. Our enemy is a spiritual force. We wrestle not with people, with flesh and blood. We wrestle with a spiritual force. And so this is not saying that, hey, we hate people that are associated with this stuff. It's saying, man, God was opening my eyes to what was going on so we could do spiritual warfare and stand against a spiritual attack that was coming against us. And not just us, but students, others in the area, this ministry that was in New York. And so we were able to, to partake in that. So God may give you a supernatural revelation of something going on in the spiritual realm. And when that happens, don't panic, don't freak out. This, this is not, man, to, to bring fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? He's showing you something to protect you, to keep you safe, uh, and allow you to do some spiritual business. In Acts chapter 16, we see this take place. Uh, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, uh, and they're going around and they're ministering. And verse 16 says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, it says we because Luke, the author of Acts, was actually a firsthand witness to this. Most of Acts, he doesn't say we, he says they. But there are small segments of Acts where he says we, that he was actually there as a part of it. And so this is one of those firsthand narratives. So Luke says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. By the way, this is why I don't mess with horoscopes. This is why I don't mess with, with astrological signs. I know a lot of us think, man, this is harmless fun. It's fun to look up my horoscope and say this is going to happen, and we laugh and, and we move on. And I know most people approach it that way, and I'm certainly not saying you're demonic because you look at a horoscope. What I am saying is it's not just harmless fun. The enemy has true spiritual power. The enemy has true demonic presence. And he uses those. And here in Scripture, multiple places in Scripture, we see this girl's predicting the future by demonic power. She's foretelling what is going to happen. This isn't just some fun psychic hotline, right? I don't mess with those either. Because most of it might just be baloney. But you never know when you're going to stumble into the one that's actually real. 
right? And I'm going to stay as far away from that stuff that belongs to the darkness as I can. Uh, so this girl is predicting the future, says she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. This sounds awesome, right? Like how, who wouldn't want to be out on a mission trip and somebody's shouting, hey, these people are servants of the most high God. They're telling you the way to be saved. Well, I'm going to listen to these guys. Well, she's not just helping open the door for them, what's she doing? She's creating distraction. She's shouting this over and over and over. She's creating chaos. And we're going to find out how patient Paul was, verse 18. It says, she kept this up for many days. Paul's a better man than me. Uh, Would not have made it many days with this girl following around and shouting this. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. You can sense that Luke was annoyed before Paul. He said, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he spoke to the spirit, not to the girl. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. The girl was not the problem. The girl's a victim. She's a slave. She's being used by her slave owners, it's not, she's not the problem. The problem is the spirit behind the girl. And so Paul speaks to the spirit. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Girl set free. People celebrate, except that's not what happens. The girl set free, and then Paul and Silas get him arrested because they're causing economic disruption for the people who are in power. And then we have this amazing story of Paul and Silas in prison where God supernaturally sets them free, right? Um, So there's an incredible story that's going to happen. All that comes because of this encounter with the slave girl. So discerning gifts is the first category. The second is the declarative gifts. The declarative gifts, I'm going to try to move a little faster through this section. The first declarative gift is the gift of prophecy. This is one that we've all heard of and are all familiar with, but we may misunderstand. Prophecy is not necessarily foretelling future events. It's a message of encouragement from God through a person. Now, notice that a message of encouragement from God. The vast, vast majority of New Testament prophecy is encouragement. You see that word associated with prophecy. It's for edification, to build somebody up, to encourage, to teach and instruct. There's one Example in the New Testament, uh, I believe it's in Acts 21, but there's a guy named Agabus who's a prophet who comes and speaks to Paul, and he warns Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested and you might die. Uh, And Paul has been led by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem anyway. So he didn't tell Paul, don't go. He just said, if you go, this is what's going to happen. So sometimes prophecy can serve as a warning, but a lot of times people who think they have the gift of prophecy, they think their job is to go around and correct My job is to tell somebody that they're off in this, is to tell somebody that they missed this, because that's what we see the office of the prophet do in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we never see prophecy used for correction. doesn't mean that we should never correct. We know the Bible is there for correction. All scripture is useful. So correction needs to happen, but that's not the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14, 31 says this, says, for you can all prophesy. Isn't that pretty cool? God wants to speak through you. God wants to encourage through you. God wants to give a message through you. You can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed, taught, and encouraged. That's what prophecy functions as in the New Testament. Now, prophecy is one of these things that we've often seen abused. If you grew up in charismatic circles like I did, you've probably seen this. 
poorly. Uh, when I was a teenager, I had a very well-meaning lady who missed God very badly, who came to me one Sunday with very earnestly, and she said, Troy, I, I really think you need to keep yourself pure because you're going to marry Corey, and Corey is keeping herself pure. Uh, and little did she know, I couldn't stand Corey, and Corey couldn't stand me. Uh, so this was not encouragement. This was not a good word from God. This was God hates me, uh, and he wants me to be miserable for the rest of my life. Uh, the worst part about it wasn't even that, because honestly, I just I didn't believe it. I was like, no, I rebuke that. Um, this isn't going to happen. Uh, but it got around the youth group. Uh, so every time there was anything going on, it was like, hey, you need to be nice to her. That's going to be your wife, right? Like, the guy's just twisting the knife on you. Uh, and so by God's grace, that did not come to pass. I did not marry Corey. I'm happily married. Corey is happily married, and we are happily not married to each other. Uh, so we're grateful for the way that that played out. Here's what I think happened. I, I think that this lady saw two young people that she admired, that she knew loved God, and she thought, man, how cute would it be if they ended up together, right? And, and so she assigned a word from God to something that wasn't actually a word from God. And that's a funny example, but there's a lot of really damaging examples of this. Man, we got to be really careful not to assign something to God that's not of God, but at the same time, we got to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because something's been done wrong or poorly or abused doesn't negate what the Word of God teaches about this. And so we'll just speak to the, the elephant, right? Like prophecy has taken a black eye specifically in the last 18 months because a whole lot of very prominent prophets in the American church went public and said Donald Trump is going to be reelected. God has said Donald Trump will be reelected. And as you know, Donald Trump did not get reelected, right? Joe Biden is president of the United States. Uh, and, and so prophecy ha has taken a beating publicly. Some of those prophets have publicly humbled themselves and repented and said, I miss God on this. And by the way, we're all going to miss God. We're all going to miss God on some stuff. And so if somebody comes out and says, I miss God on this, I believe we extend grace, just like in anything else. Man, your prophets are free to struggle just like anybody else. It's because somebody missed God one time doesn't mean they didn't hear from God another time. Um, now, there are others who have not humbled themselves and those are people that I'm not going to listen to. If, if you've missed God, the Bible tells us to test the prophets. And if somebody has publicly missed God and not gotten it right, to me, maybe they were a prophet before, but they're not operating in, in scriptural guidelines and mandate right now. Um, so I'm not going to put any credence in what those people have to say. So just because somebody says something from God doesn't mean it's from God. But just because somebody misses God doesn't mean God doesn't speak. Does that make sense? Right? We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't throw scripture out because we've seen something that was hurtful in our own life. Man, we, we embrace what the word of God says, and the word of God says we should prophesy. Why? Because it edifies, it encourages, it builds each other up. Secondly, we have tongues. We talked a whole lot about tongues last week as far as the declarative gifts. Not going to get very in-depth on this today at all. We talked last week about the difference between a, a private gift and a public gift. So 1 Corinthians 14, the prayer language, that's the private gift of tongues where we use this by ourselves. This is the public gift of tongues where we give a word in tongues and somebody else has an interpretation of that gift. Um, tongues definition is a message from God in a language unknown to the person through whom the message comes. 
So God's speaking through somebody who doesn't understand the language that they're speaking. Uh, And so it's always paired, if it's a public gift, with the third declarative gift, the gift of interpretation of tongues. Interpretation of tongues is understanding and expressing the thought or the intent of the message in tongues. Now, the, the gift of interpretation is not the gift of translation, right? Some people have tried to disprove that this is God working because somebody gives a long word in tongues and there's a short interpretation in tongues or vice versa, a short word in tongues and a long interpretation. To interpret something is to take the meaning, the thought behind it and, and, and give it to the, to the group. To translate is to do word for word. God doesn't give us a gift of translating tongues. He gives us a gift of interpreting tongues. Uh, And so it doesn't have to match up the same length. It can be shorter or longer. God's going to speak however he wants to through that interpretation. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this in verse 5. He says, I would like, inspired by the Spirit of God, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I believe God wants all of us to have this private gift of speaking in tongues. He says, but I'd rather have you prophesy, the public gift of prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why? Because the one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who speaks in tongues builds up themselves, unless someone interprets. So the church might be edified. So God is more worried about these common blessings, the, the gifts that are going to bless all of us and the gift that blesses us individually, but he's still concerned that, hey, I have the gift to edify myself. I have the ability to build myself up in tongues. So tongues is good. Prophecy is better unless there's interpretation of the tongue, in which case it comes up to the same level. Third category, very quickly, are the dynamic gifts. That word dynamic, of course, comes from the Greek word dunamis in Acts 1.8, that you're going to receive dynamic power, dynamite power, man, explosive power. These are the explosive works of supernatural, miraculous things. Uh, the first is the gift of faith. It's the supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. This is not just faith, right? God gives all of us faith. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's my job to build my faith. I put faith into myself when I read the word of God. So God starts my faith and then I can build my faith. But this is a supernatural deposit of faith for a specific situation. Where man, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who had just walked in some supernatural faith for something. I'll tell you right now, somebody who I've seen who is walking in the gift of faith is Stacy Connolly. Her husband passed away about six weeks ago, and that girl can't stop talking about the glory of God. She can't stop telling people how good God is. That is supernatural faith. It's not normal, right? Like she, is in, she has got a gift right now where she believes and trusts every word that God has spoken to her, even though her circumstances are very difficult. It's a supernatural gift of faith. It's an amazing thing to watch. When somebody's walking in supernatural faith, the supernatural gift of faith may show up when, when somebody's standing for a healing, when somebody's believing for a miracle, when somebody's believing for the restoration of a broken marriage. Man, I'm standing for this and I'm believing for this. This isn't just I'm hoping for this. God, I need you to do this. This is God has spoken to your heart and revealed that this thing is going to happen and you're standing in faith until it does happen. It's a supernatural impartation of confidence that God's going to move in a specific situation. Secondly, we have the gifts of healing. The gifts of healing are supernatural endowments of divine health. So, so this is not medicine. 
This is not doctors. We believe in medicine and we believe in doctors. We're, sometimes you get Christians that are like, man, we're just, we're just trusting in God and God's going to do everything. The Bible doesn't teach that. By the way, Luke, who we just read from the book of Acts, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, he was a doctor. Uh, I think that tells us God is pro-doctors, right? So we're not anti-doctor, we're not anti-medicine, but sometimes medicine can't handle something. And we serve a God who heals. We serve a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All through the Old Testament, God heals. All through the New Testament, God heals. And I believe all through the church, God heals. Now, this one's hard for us to talk about because everybody in this room has prayed for somebody to get healed, and they didn't get healed. Right? Every one of us has had an experience where we were asking God to move in our body or in somebody else's body, and for whatever reason, God didn't. And so when my experience says one thing, but the word of God says another, I'm always going to choose to trust the word of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Many of us in this room have experienced healings. In fact, Sunday night at our worship night, we had a man experience a supernatural healing. Man who, who went to the ER Sunday afternoon with a, with a horrible migraine. In fact, he told the doctors it was a 9 out of a 10 on the pain scale. Horrible, horrible pain. Gets out of the hospital, decides, I'm coming to worship night, which, I mean, that's, that's a miracle in and of itself, right? Like, if you got a migraine, you're going home and going to bed. You're certainly not coming to a place where the first song on the set list is Might Get Loud. So he comes in with a migraine headache, horrible pain, and he said, by about the third song, that supernaturally took it away. Why? Because he had enough faith to come, even in the midst of his pain. He had enough faith to worship before he saw the victory, and God moved in his life. So by the way, God still heals. Just because we all know of some situation where God didn't heal doesn't mean that God doesn't heal, right? It's not up to us to determine. I can't answer why God doesn't move in every situation. I think sometimes it is because of a lack of faith, but I think sometimes it isn't a lack of faith. And I've seen some very, very faith-filled people believe God for miracles and believe God for healing, and for whatever reason, they didn't receive it on this earth. Um, I can't answer why God doesn't always do it, but I can tell you he does. He does heal, and his word all throughout Scripture, it indicates he wants his people to trust him for healing, to believe him for healing. So we're going to be people who trust God to move supernaturally for healing. Amen? Lastly, we have the working of miracles. This is the one that... I don't really need to define that much, right? Like everybody in this room knows what a miracle is. Um, in fact, let me ask you this. How many of you in this room have experienced a miracle? L look around the room. I'm almost half the hands up. Look around the room, guys. Keep them up for just a second. Almost half the hands up. Maybe, maybe more than half the hands up in this room. How can we say, God, stop doing miracles? When half the people we go to church with say, I've experienced a miracle in my life. Find out those testimonies. Find out those stories. God still does miracles. He's the same. So the definition is on your screen. It's divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. Many of us have experienced a miracle because we serve a miracle-making God. Everything God does is a miracle, right? When God wakes up in the morning, he doesn't go to the coffee maker. He just says, let there be coffee. And God has coffee. Now, I know God doesn't actually wake up in the morning because God doesn't need to sleep and God doesn't drink coffee. I know it's theologically inaccurate. I'm trying to teach a point, right? Like, like he speaks and things happen. He doesn't stop doing miracles because he can't stop doing miracles. It's what he is. He's a miracle-making God. Now, yes, he designed a world with, with scientific laws that, that he set in motion so the world could operate. 
And most of the time, he honors those laws and respects those laws and lets things stay in motion. But at any point he wants to, he can step in and alter those laws, supersede those laws, move beyond those laws, because he's the one who created the laws. When you're the one who started it, you have the ability to break it, right? You've got that authority, and that's who he is. So the supernatural spiritual gift of working in miracles is when God divinely intervenes and alters our natural circumstances. By the way, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've experienced a miracle. In fact, I would say you've received the greatest miracle you could ever receive is the grace of God. Now, we may not think of it as the greatest miracle because, man, we, we want to see something, you know, we want to see somebody walk on water. We want to see somebody feed the 5,000. We read about these miracles in Scripture and it's like, man, I really want to see that. But none of those things are as important as somebody receiving eternal salvation. None of those things are as significant as a God who left heaven and came to earth to die in our place so we could be restored to community and relationship with him. You're a miracle. If you're a believer in Jesus. And I don't believe that's the only miracle he wants to do in your life. So what do we do with these spiritual gifts? You look at these nine gifts and you're like, man, I've never seen any of these operate in my life. I've never done any of this stuff. This is crazy. This is beyond me. I would say there's one of two possibilities if that's you. The first possibility is you have and you just don't realize that's what God was doing at the time. You had a word of wisdom. You had a word of knowledge. And you just haven't yet been able to connect the dots. Um, I would say, man, if that's you, pray, God, show me how you've gifted me. Show me the times where you've moved mightily in my life. You might be completely unaware of some of these things that God's done. Second possibility is this. You haven't yet seen God move in these ways, and so that means you need to buckle up because it's coming. Because the Bible says that he does this for all his people. All of God's people are distributed the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're sending you home with a spiritual gifts test today. When you walk out, you're going to be given a test. Now, if you've been in the women's city group, I think they took this test a couple weeks ago. I think the 662 took the spiritual gifts test a couple weeks ago. If you went through discovery recently and joined the church, you just took this test. So if you just took it like in the last month, you don't need to take it again. But if you haven't taken it for three or four years, I'd encourage you this week, find some time, find 20, 30 minutes Take the spiritual gift test and see where, you, see where you rate. See where you're at on it. And then start asking God, man, is these things that are higher, God, is there some way that you want me to use this gift that I'm not using it now? Is there something that you want me to begin to do? Just begin to talk to him. Begin to open that door for God to speak into your life. Because why does he give us gifts? He gives us gifts for the common good. That means if I'm not using my gifts, I'm cheating you out of something. If you're not using your gifts, you're cheating somebody in your family, at your workplace, in your church family, out of something God wants to do. He puts a gift in you to get the gift out of you and into somebody's life. So take the test. Pray through, God, how can I use this? How can I walk in this? And 1 Corinthians 14 says this. It says, seek earnestly the best gifts. If there's something you want to see God do in your life that you haven't seen him do, ask what is that? That's a, that's a call back to Luke 11. Asking you'll receive, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be opened. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. If there's something you want God to do in your life, begin asking, God, I want to see this happen. God, I want to be used in this way. And it may happen instantly. It may happen over a long process, right? It might be ask and receive. It might be knock and keep on knocking. It might be seek and keep on seeking. But the promise of God is if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. He wants to use you.